they were going to learn to prepare their lives for the Lord. Now understand this. As you learn God's word, and this is part of the preparation part, when you learn God's word, you learn how to live with God the Father and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit who's going to teach you. When, as you learn God's word, you learn the Trinity. You learn the role of each one. You begin to understand how each one is sharing in your life. The scripture tells us, he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of seeing Christ. He who allows that work to start is Jesus Christ by what he did on the cross. And the Holy Spirit convicting. But then the Father says, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to continue to work with you. Until you see my son, what? Face to face. It's understanding that in scripture he says, no man cometh unto my son unless he's drawn by who? The father. But then Jesus comes back and says, hey, guess what? You'll never really know my father unless I introduce you to my Father, because no man cometh unto the Father but by me or through me. And then you hear the Holy Spirit saying, I will teach you all things. You begin to see how all three then interplay in your life, what all three are doing in your life, because you're in the Word. And as you're in the Word, you expect this. When you're in the Word of God, you expect God to interact with you. And the people are going to learn that God was going to interact with them through their confession, repentance, and the forgiveness that comes. God is going to face. God is going to deal with. Now, as you learn these things, you also begin to recognize as you interact with God that the real power that comes in order to live this Christian life doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from trickery. It it doesn't come through a bunch of rules and regulations. Go with me to First Thessalonians. Go to chapter 1. Because, see, the people had to also learn this too. And what they're learning is that they can have a relationship with God outside of where? Their temple. We're all in the New Testament and throughout all the ages down to this point, my main center or main part of my relationship rested on what took place in the temple. Now it's rested in or it's going to rest in a person 
the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, pick up with me in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel. Now, now catch this. The words of God, the words that John is going to speak, the message that John is going to deliver. He says, the word of this gospel came to you not simply with what? Words. Words. Hope to demonstrate that to you as we go back to Luke. But also with power and with the Holy Spirit. And with deep what? Conviction. Conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Now catch this here. Verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You became imitators of who? Of us and the Lord. Now you hear what Paul says in Philippians. Follow me as I what? Follow Christ. In other words, yeah, you can imitate me because I'm imitating who? Jesus. When you go back into Luke, the whole process there in three, he brings, he says, boy, he did this in verse three. He went into all the country around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. You do this. Now, how am I going to make straight paths? He's going to take these four little things and he's going to say it. One author brings it out in this way. Four things that God has to deal with in our life. Because the issue, it has to be straight. Can't be crooked. Can't be rough. Has to be smooth. How can there be the the deceitfulness and hypocrisy in it? So he starts off and he quotes here from Isaiah. Every valley shall be filled in. What is that? Your unbelief always takes you which way? Down. He said that's gonna be filled in. Filled in with what? Faith. For the road now is made level. It's not the unbelief. And then he says the mountains. The mountains is our pride. How we think about ourselves. How we see ourselves. And our strong self-will. That has to be broken. And broke where? Down. Let no man think more of himself than he what? Than he ought so our pride has to be brought down. The valley says, yes, he's going to deal with my unbelief. He's going to fill those in that is level. The mountains, my pride, he's going to bring low that he can deal with me. And then he says, my crooked roads, 
He's going to make them straight. That's my deceit, my hypocrisy, my unfaithfulness. And then he says, the rough ways in my life is my anger. You ever see somebody that's rough, got some rough edges? They're quick to what? And they're always in strife. They always have hate against something. And they're always a people of unkindness. And he says, hey, we're going to deal with all that. And that's why he mentions these things. That he says, boy, yeah, every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight. The rough way smoothed. And he has a reason for it. Remember what I said earlier? When confession, repentance, forgiveness takes place, people can really see it because they see it in your behavior. They see it in your life. They see it. Every obstruction, everything that blocks you from living the way God would have you to live is removed. Why? Because God wants you to really be what he desires to be his messenger, a changed life. That all people will see the salvation of God. Where at? In you. And sometimes you're shocked. I never thought that they would surrender. I never thought that they would be saved. Boy, if you knew their past life. And Paul says, you are our written what? Epistles read by man. And that whole process, you are a new creature. Because what he's doing here, through those four illustrations there, he says that all mankind will see God's salvation. That's what God wants other people to see in your life. The wonderful work that he has done, the setting free in your life, breaking the chains in your life, breaking the hold that Satan has in your life. And the new relationship you have with him. God wants people to see that. The knowledge of salvation that is spoken about in 177, chapter 1, verse 10, that knowledge of salvation comes from this perspective, from your confession, from your repentance, for your forgiveness. Based on this fact, all those three things are experience. And when you really experience those things, something happens. Something happens. Ms. Shirley could attest some things about the old CMA or old holiness movement, the old Methodist movement, uh, whatever movement you want to call. When people came to the altar, something happened. When people came with sincerity to the altar, to lay their sin down and to deal with that sin with Jesus Christ. Something happened in their lives. 
But in many ways, we got away from the altar because people think if you come up here praying, oh, they didn't really did something. Ooh, they've been bad this week. So we don't want to be seen up here praying. And what we don't understand, sometimes what we're up here doing, casting the burdens of my heart we're at. And understand, sin can be a burden. And he says that mankind might see it. Now, here comes that power. Not by words, but by God. By God. Not by words, but by God. When you read this in verse 7, it says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized. Well, well, what's encouraging them to go out? What's calling them to come out? What's changing their heart to go out there? Now understand this. You're not talking about walking across the street to John. You're walking some distance to get to John by the Jordan to be baptized. Yes, you have some villages around the Jordan and so forth. But to come from Jerusalem, you're coming some distance. To come from some of the surrounding towns, you're coming a little distance. You're not just walking across the street. You're not just walking two blocks. And he says, boy... John said to the crowd, coming out, there had come a distance. Now, here's where Luke leaves off, but Matthew leaves off, because the ones that he is going to somewhat be very direct with, and I take it as a general thing also, he's talking to everybody, not just some, but to all, when he calls them a brood of vipers. Based on this fact, the brood is simply this here. We have created more of ourselves. We've given birth to more than just ourselves. A snake, when it lays eggs, is more than one. <laughs> and he refers to them as snakes. Some translations use vipers, others use snakes. But the real word there is brood. Is that here you are, you have duplicated what? Yourself. A group of you. And in Matthew, it says Pharisees and Sadducees. But I think he's also talking to the whole group because the people hear him talk to them. And he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What is your motive for coming to Jesus? Now stay with me for a moment. Is your motive for coming to Jesus is only because you can be blessed? Is your motive for coming to Jesus only because you want to miss hell? Is your motive for coming for Jesus because you want to feel good? Have you come to Jesus recognizing that he is the only one who can deal with your sin? 
He's the only one who can save you. What's your real motive for coming to Jesus? See, each one of us have to answer that for ourselves. What's your motive? Why did you come? Why are you confessing him? Are you confessing him because you really want to be a servant to him? Are you confessing him because you really want him to change your life? Are you confessing him because you really want to make him Lord of your life? Master of your life? Or you just want to miss hell and go to heaven? And that's what John recognized in the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was not so much that they are coming out wanting a change because they already felt they were religious enough. They may have felt they already did the right things. Or they may have just come out the spy and see what's going on. But the power is this here. God does the drawing. And the people came out. Not because we're giving away bags for school. Not because we're giving you a grocery check. Not because you're getting coats for winter. They came out to hear what John had to say, but was being drawn by an unseen person. They desired. John says then to them, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That if your heart is really right and, and you're hungry to really know about the Lord and you, you really want to walk with the Lord, then you produce fruits in your life that gives testimony that confession and repentance and forgiveness has taken place. Show us something in your life that demonstrates that. Because, see, that's a reality. Repentance is the understanding that you and I, that we're wrong. And by whose standards are you deemed wrong? By God's. By God's. And because of what God says about sin and what God says in Romans 14 11 that every mouth will confess to him every mouth now in Luke 3 7 they're coming out and he asked them are you coming just to miss the wrath or are you really coming to prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord what is the real reason behind it? And he calls them the brood of vipers. How many of you would come back if I called you sinful adulterers? How many of you would come back if I called you, you just winos and drug addicts? Hey, those can be some rough adjectives to follow. Hey, um, you wouldn't like it too much. If I labored you 
But the challenge is for all of us, if we're really saved, is to produce fruit that shows that we've been changed. After hearing John share this, the crowd is going to ask this question. The Holy Spirit sometimes is so good the way he put things in order in Scripture. He gives us three insightful little things. But it also allows us to see life and that God can deal with the most difficult individuals just by who he's going to talk to here. And these would not have been considered the average people. But the crowd heard how he responded to these so-called religious people in Matthew 3, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He, they hear that. And he takes away, and they hear him, take away their excuse. And their excuse would have been, oh, we're the children of Abraham. We don't need to go through this. We're okay. Oh, we're the children of Abraham. And he takes away that excuse from them. But look at verse 10. And I want to remind you of a person on the Damascus Road who basically says the same thing. When he interfaced with the Lord Jesus Christ, when he has to interface with God interacting in his life, the first thing he says, what would you have me to do, Lord? What would you have me to do? Now, look right here in verse 10. After the crowd heard everything that was going on between John and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Look what verse 10 said. What should we do then? The crowd asked. What should we do? Because people don't know what to do with their sin. People really don't know what to do with their wrong lives. People really don't know what to do with their messed up lives. People really don't know what to do when they're in deep trouble. And that's why we hear, Oh God! And we don't know... I'm a non-believer, but all of a sudden I'm yelling out, Oh God! Because there are so many things in life we don't know how to handle and we need instructions of how to handle it. My marriage is breaking up! Well, I need instructions of knowing how to love my wife. And my wife needs instructions of how to love me. And both have to have hope that God will interact. My children are rebellious, Lord. I need to know how to be a parent in that rebellious time. I need instructions from God how to deal with that rebellious child. That child needs instruction of how to trust and obey the parent. Interfacing with God. And the thing is, what is it, Lord, that I should do? What is it that I should do? And, and not only that, he, 
He says it again. The tax collectors. They come. Now these are some people that understand hatred. And those who were Jews were even hated worse. Because they were seen as what? Traitors to their own people. They were hated by their own people. These people are torn between what this Roman oppressor government is saying do and then what I know in a sense sometimes I should do and deal with. He gives us at that time in culture two of the hardest groups of people to deal with that needed to be able to confess, repent, know the forgiveness of God and yet turn and do the right things. Because tax collectors were known to cheat. That's why one said, Lord, if I cheated any man, I'll give back. And he goes on again. He deals with the soldiers. Soldiers were under the command of their superiors or of the temple guards under the command of the head priest. The Roman soldier under the command of his captain or whoever was the proconsul and to obey them. And now I'm hearing about there's a possibility of me obeying somebody else. Can can you get the confusion that's going on? And the question in verse 14 that comes from the soldiers even. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? You don't know our situation. You don't know how tough it is to be a soldier. You don't know how hard it is to follow the commands of those in leadership. You don't know what we have to do sometimes that goes against our own conscience. What are we to do? What are we to do? And they're searching for that. And John gives them both an answer. But in closing, it's surprising how the Holy Spirit drops this in. Because there are going to be those who really ask, what do I need to do? How can I change this situation? What steps do I need to take? You're going to find some that would ask that. Had a young lady stepped in my office and she said, Pastor Brown, what can I do with my life? Start educating yourself. In a nursing program, never thought that she would be in one. Not easy, but she's slowly getting through it. Another one, the other night, she just ran after the movie and she just grabbed me and just hugged and the tears just coming. And she said, will I see you on Monday? The whole process sometimes allow God to take the lead in dealing in the lives of people. 
Yes, we want to see people saved, but don't run ahead of God. Yes, we know all the right steps we think that people need to go through and all the hoops they need to jump. But allow God to bring you alongside the person. Allow God to say to you, like he said to Philip, go up in the chariot with him. Why? Because God's already done something. He's doing something. He just needs you now to connect and to help lead. But then when you look at that verse 8, I'm sorry, when you go all the way down into that verse 19, and the strings that he would dump Herod right here, you got folks saying, three, the crowd, the tax collector, and the soldier saying, what should I do? But when it comes to Herod, who got some change in his pockets, who lives in a palace, and does not want to break away from his sin, who does not want to hear what God thinks about his life. He puts John in prison. In other words, saying, who do you think you are coming to me and telling me what I need to do? And you're going to have people respond that way with you. Who do you think you are coming to me and telling me I need to live this way or I need to do this or I need to accept the Lord Jesus. You don't know the relationship me and Jesus have. May not be none there, but as far as I'm concerned, I got one. I believe in him. That's enough. I don't live for him. I don't really trust him. I don't even really believe what his word says because I'm not in it. But Jesus and I, we're like this. Get to that verse 19. We get ready to close here. But when John rebuked Herod, the attachment because of Herodias, his brother's what? His brother's wife. Now, I want you to look at the sin that Herod is involved in. He took his brother's wife. He's living with his brother's wife. He didn't even follow Old Testament. Now it might have been okay if his brother was what? Dead. Brother very much alive. So he's living in that sin. And then later on it paints another picture for us about Herod. Not only is he caught up with a woman who is not his wife, but he's also caught up with his niece. And he's all aroused because of his niece. Do you see the sin that went from one sin to another sin, which will lead to another one, the beheading of John? 
sin never stops. If you allow one, you allow another, and then you will allow another, and then you will allow another. But the thing about Herod is this. I enjoy what I'm doing. I enjoy what I'm doing. It's pleasing to my flesh. And John, you're not going to tell me I need to confess, I need to repent, and I will receive forgiveness from God. You're not going to tell me that. So I'm going to put you someplace where you're not going to even bother me. I'm going to put you in prison. I'm going to put you in prison. And a lot of people, in a sense, put you in prison. They lock you out of their life. They remove you consciously out of their life. And they direct you. Don't talk to me about this. They move you. And it says, and all the other evil that he was doing, his brother's wife, and all the other evil that he did not see that he needed to repent of. You got the ones before him saying, what should we do? This is our problem. This is my problem. What do I do with it? And he gives them instructions how to handle it. And yet to confess of the wrong which they did in it. To repent of it. And receive forgiveness. But Herod has no need of it. And with all his evil things he has done. Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Not only all his other sin. He sinned by locking up the proclaimers, the prophet of God. He just added more evil to his life. And sometimes when people think they pushed you away or they locked you up or they stopped you from speaking, that they have stopped God from interacting in their life. That's why scripture tells us every knee shall bow and every tongue will what? Confess. Everyone. Even Herod. Closing, jump back up into verse 18. And we're going to pick up this other part from 15 on down to 18 later on in the areas we deal with John, understanding that he must decrease and Jesus must what? Increase. We'll deal with that from 15 on down. But in 18 he says, and with many other words, John exhorted the people. He did what? He encouraged. He built them up. Why? Because they wanted to know what? What to do? What to do? We assume because people are a certain age or because people are intelligent or because people are this or that, they know what to do with their sin, with their wrongness, with their pain, with their hurt, with their problems. 
You don't know what to do until you have received instructions from God. And he says, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached, catch this, good news. And when you hear from God, that is what? Good news. When God speaks to you, that's good news. When God whispers into your ear, that's good news. When God interfaces you in life, that's good news. And they were willing to receive it. And John is preparing them for the next one who's going to come and challenge them in life. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's preparing them to understand what confession and repentance is all about and the true forgiveness of God. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your loving kindness. And we thank you for your word. And and Father, we thank you that your word can come off the pages and deal with each one of our hearts. It's not just John talking to those from Judea or Jerusalem. But John is still speaking to each and every one of us that we need to confess and we need to repent and we need to experience the forgiveness of a living God. You're the one, oh God, that has to minister to us. John could only deliver your message. But you're the one that has to interface You're the one that has to somehow, oh God, come right before us and confirm what we have heard. You're the one that has to come and just say to us, you've sinned in this area. You're the one that has to say to us, the wages of sin is death. You're the one that has to say, you need to confess this and deal with it. And put it under the blood of Christ. You're the one that has to say to us. If we confessed our sins. That Lord you are a just God. Who will forgive us of our sins. Let us not go about. Saying we have not sinned. Because we make you a liar. But may we come to the place that we deal with our own personal sin. And we can sense that forgiveness that comes from God. We can sense your arms embracing us and drawing us close to you. We can sense your love just being poured out upon us. We can know 
because of our confession, our repentance, our forgiveness, that, Lord, we're walking uprightly with you. May you minister to us, Lord. Let us not just see this as a story in the Bible, but may we see the value of it in this present day life in which we live. And may we understand that people need to confess. People need to change their way of thinking, change their attitudes. People need to turn from that which you direct us and tell us we need to turn from and agree with you. And most of all, oh God, may we sense the pouring out of your Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for what you're going to do. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.